Moses comes in with this message of God has heard your pleas. He's going to deliver you. And we followed them through plague after plague and all the tensions built up. And they finally walk out of Egypt. You know, their arms are full. They're carrying stuff. I think uh, I, in my mind, I have the Ten Commandments movie where there's just this sort of herd of people and stuff and they're leaving. And then they get to the edge of town. And I think the question would have been, now what? Where do we go from here? What are we going to do now? Uh, where is this land that we're supposed to go to? How do we get there? How do we make sure that we can survive long enough to make it there? What are we going to do for food, for water? Uh, what are we going to do if we find some unscrupulous characters on the way, some angry people, some foreign nation that we don't know that wants to take our stuff? What are we going to do, and how are we going to make it? And I think the bigger question under all of that would have been the question of, is Yahweh going to go with us? And we know he's been with us and he's done these amazing signs and wonders in Egypt, but now that we're leaving, is he going to go with us? Is he going to stay in Egypt? Are we on our own? Did he bring us to the door, sort of open it, and then say, okay, go and, go and do your best? Are we really on our own now? And what I want to see and what I want us to see and want to show you in our text today is the answer is no, God's not going to leave his people on their own, and yes, he is going to go with them. So whether it's in Egypt or it's out in the wilderness somewhere, the people of God are not alone. Yahweh is going to remain with them. And that's so important uh, for the sense of encouragement and comfort that it brings, that Yahweh goes with us, very applicable for today. And it really goes a long way to maintaining this idea that these are God's special people. And we've seen already that he talks about, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm calling you out, I'm going to take you to a new land, I'm going to dwell with you, you'll be my people, I'll be your God. And so for him to remain with them on this journey goes with that idea that these are his people. He's not going to leave them. He's not going to bring them out of something and then just sort of send them on their way. He stays with them. And so our main idea for today, what I hope to show you in the text, Yahweh does not leave his people on their own after the exodus, but he remains with them visibly to protect and guide them. He doesn't leave them on their own, but he's going to remain with them visibly to protect and and guide them. So I want you to stand, if you would, in honor of the reading of God's Word, Exodus chapter 13, and we're going to read verses 17 through 22. Actually, a pretty short passage in, so far in our study of Exodus, so it shouldn't take us more than an hour or so to get through it. <laughs> no, I'm hungry now. That's okay. Exodus chapter 13, if you're there, say word. Excellent. Beginning in verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you. And you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, we ask in this moment for the wisdom to understand your scriptures and the humility to receive it. Help us to 
to, um, to place ourselves under the authority of your divinely inspired word and teach us from this passage, though it is ancient and though it deals with things that happened thousands of years ago, uh, impress upon our hearts today the importance of the fact that you are still with us. You do not leave us. And we ask that in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Thank you. In our passage today, what I want to do is to try to show you how Yahweh is what I'm calling on display. The God of the Hebrews is on display in really three ways. And the first of all, the first way we see that is that God's protection is on display. His protection is on display. This is verses 17 and 18 again. When the Israelites, they're leaving Egypt, they know that God is going to lead them to a promised land. The ultimate destination is the land of Canaan, uh, what we think of as Israel today. And to get there, you can really take one of two routes. Uh, Brandon, can you show that picture that I have on there? I know it's a little bit small, but this is sort of um, world geography time for everyone. You have Egypt on the left. The pointy triangle thing is the Sinai Peninsula. And you have Israel to the right and then Jordan and on into Saudi Arabia. So when the Israelites are leaving Goshen up here in the, where the, um, the Nile River is, they're going across to the land of Canaan. You really have two options. Now, I'm no wilderness explorer, but for me, I say, let's get there fast. Let's take the interstate version. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I don't care about back roads and cool sites. I just want to get there. So it would make sense that the way to go would be straight across the top along the edge of the Mediterranean Sea. The other option is what people like my dad would say is like, let's go see some cows on the side of the road. They would take the long way down into Sinai through the wilderness and on around. Now, of course, you're leaving Egypt. You know you're headed in that direction of Canaan. You would think, let's take the short route. That seems the most reasonable. It's faster. We don't have to think as much about provisions. Let's just go and get there. But that's not actually what God does. In fact, he leads them on a much longer route through the wilderness. And the question I have is, why? You know, we've just survived the Exodus. We've just come out of 400 years of harsh living. I'd like to take the easy way to Canaan. Lord, I feel like some people would have been praying. And he says, no, no, we're going to go down through the wilderness. And the reason is because if we do a little bit of geography history here, Going the short route across the top of the Sinai Peninsula would have taken the Israelites through the land of the Philistines. You can actually see this in verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines. Now, of course, if you're familiar with the history moving forward of where the people go and into the conquest, the Philistines is a very common name. At this point, they are less known, but scholars do think that even at this point, they are a fearsome force powerful army, uh, perhaps a large nation, uh, relatively speaking. And God knows this. He knows that the power of the Philistines presents a threat to the Israelites. How did they come out of Egypt? Well, a ragtag bunch of former slaves grabbing up everything they could, finally free, and they march out into the wilderness. They're not trained for battle. They weren't an army. They don't have an army. In fact, there's this interesting verse here. Uh, where is it? Verse 18, where he says, They went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. That's a little misleading. doesn't mean like, oh, we've got all our weapons and we're just looking for a fight. It speaks more to the arrangement of the people as they went. Okay, So they didn't walk out of Egypt 
this mass exodus sort of army just ready to conquer. We're going to the promised land. No, they left as former slaves, taking the things that they had and just trusting God. And God knew if they go across the northern side there, they're going to the land of the Philistines. There's this threat here. The Israelites are untrained, they're inexperienced, ill-equipped, no chance of surviving against some strong former army. I mean, just imagine the people of God sort of just, we just came out of slavery, we've got all our stuff, and then you enter and you encounter the Philistines. Battle-hardened, experienced, trained, just asking for a fight, begging somebody to come into their territory. Imagine how poorly that would have gone for the Egyptians. Some of you may know, I don't talk about it a lot, but I do play pickleball. I'm pretty, I keep it pretty close to myself. And uh, I'm trying, my goal is to try to work a pickleball uh, illustration into every sermon because Wes refuses to do so. But uh, in pickleball, like any sport, you have levels, you have skill levels. And so uh, it's anywhere from like a 2-0 to like 5-0 plus and beyond. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, an optimistic 3-5, so I'm an amateur. But I like to play with people who are better than me because it really forces you to sort of up your game and, and whatnot. But there are occasions where I'm clearly out of my league. Uh, one game in particular a few months ago, I played with three guys who, they, they were very kind and very gracious, but it was obvious that I was in the wrong place. Because we played, and it was just, I was unequipped. I played my best, and it was like I was playing a different game. And it's like that if we think about this here with the Israelites. Yes, they're a large crowd. Yes, they're going out, and they're trusting the Lord. But to meet a group of people like the Philistines would have posed a great threat. Israelites were simply not there. They they were on a different level when it comes to protecting themselves. And so Yahweh knew that. And he says, you know what? I'm not going to lead them through there. I'm going to lead them around. He knew that the result of a battle like that would be devastating. Physically, Israelites, many would have died. But also think about the blow to the morale. We just left Egypt. Yahweh did this amazing thing for us. We're triumphant through the wilderness. And then we get whooped up on by this band of pagans. What sort of a morale blow would that have been? And so Yahweh determines to lead them around. If they had gone into this battle and had experienced a a devastating blow, they might have begun to think, maybe we're not cut out for a living out here. You know, God sort of, he brought us out of Egypt, but maybe we should have gone a different place. Maybe we're just not ready for this. And in fact, if you look at verse 18, sorry, verse 17, Yahweh knew that the devastation would be so extreme, get this, that the Israelites would actually start thinking about going back to Egypt. Look at verse 17 again. He says, he didn't lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near, for God said what? Lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Now, I don't know about you, but I read that verse and I think, seriously? You would consider going back to Egypt? I mean, just in studying these chapters from, you know, centuries removed, I think, no way. I'd rather take my chances against the Philistines than go back to Egypt. But imagine having come out of that. Everybody that you've ever known for centuries has been enslaved. You've lived in these terrible conditions that we've talked about with the slaughter of children, the making bricks, and then you can't have straw to do it. You finally get delivered. You go out into the wilderness. You have a bad encounter, and you think, man, I think I'm going to go back to Egypt. That is baffling to me. Would the people who had seen God do these amazing things actually go back to Egypt? 
I think the answer is yes. Not only because God seems to indicate that here, but because we see that attitude multiple times in later verses. All right, I'm going to give you three examples where the Israelites demonstrate this, this lack of faith in God and an apparent forgetfulness about how bad things were. All right, let me give you three examples. One is coming up soon in Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. The Israelites are going out. They get a little bit hungry. They only have these weird loaves that plop down out of the sky every day to eat. And they begin to, to complain about a lack of meat. And what do they say? Man, back in Egypt, we had meat in the pots. It was amazing. And they start thinking about the good old days in Egypt. Well, at least we had food there. We, you know, we didn't, it, it wasn't too bad. We had meals. It's like, really? You're in slavery there. You can't survive a few days on a piece of bread? Let me give you another example from Exodus 32. This will be a little bit farther in the future. This is the golden calf experience. They, they, God leads them out of Israel, incredible signs and wonders, takes them to the mountain. Uh, Moses goes up to the mountain for a meeting. He's gone five minutes too long, and what do the people do? We need an idol. We need a golden calf to worship. because That's really who brought us out, and then everything will be fine. It'll take care of us. What an incredible lack of faith and a forgetfulness. It shows us that they've been in Egypt far too long. They've picked up some bad habits. And one more, Numbers 14, verse 3. This is where the spies go into the promised land. Remember this, the ten spies go in and they come back. Joshua and Caleb say, let's do it. We can do this thing. And the other eight say, I don't know about this. The people are giants. The cities are fortified. They're just these giant places. We can't do this. And they actually say it would be better to return to Egypt. So when Yahweh says here in Exodus 13, I'm going to lead them around because I don't want to take them through the Philistines and them say, maybe we'll just go back to Egypt. He knew exactly what was in their hearts. He knew what the Israelites were like. They're just like me and you. He knew that they, like us, were prone to faithlessness. Prone to having those moments where we give testimony of what God's done, we come to a difficult situation, and we just forget. Yeah, I know we like to think of ourselves as the heroes in the stories, but we're just like them. Yahweh knew that the Israelites, like us, they're prone to faithlessness. He knew that if they tried to take on the Philistines in their own strength, they would be defeated. They would want to return to Egypt of all places. And so he protected them, get this, from a trial they were not ready for. Now, as you know, the history, they're going to go into the promised land and fight battles. But fighting's not the problem. It's the timing. Yahweh knows that the people of God are not yet ready for this trial. And so, like a good father, he protects them. He leads them around the problem that they are not ready for yet. Parents, we do this all the time. There are situations, yes, that children are going to encounter one day. But we say not today because they're not ready for it yet. It's a protection on display. Something as simple as, why are we going this way and not that way? God's protecting you from something down that road that you're not ready for yet. It's a great picture of protection, of lovingly sort of shepherding, just steering around something that they're not yet ready for. We know the same is true for us. God doesn't keep us from trials, ultimately. All we, we all have trials, we all have tribulations we encounter, but what God does for us is he grows us, and he matures us, he strengthens us, and he prepares us through the work of the Spirit so that we are ready for those trials 
and tribulation. You may, you may hear of someone who has a very difficult situation, and you think, man, I could never go through that. That would just wreck me. Now, maybe. But if God chooses to lead you through that trial later on, he will have prepared you beforehand to endure. When we encounter trials, we ought not be like the Egyptians losing faith, or sorry, like the Israelites losing faith and thinking, man, I'll just go back to Egypt. How terrible that would be to think what God has brought us out of by his grace and power, and then we get to a difficult situation in life and we think, man, I thought everything was going to be roses. God was just going to sort of prepare a way for me. I have this difficult time now. Man, I'm just going to go back to Egypt. Don't be like that. Trust in the Lord. Our Heavenly Father will prepare us for trials, and He will carry us through trials. And even if we have moments of faithlessness, great verse, 2 Timothy 2.13, He remains faithful. Even if we have these moments where we come to it and we just sort of crumble, God doesn't. He's faithful. He carries us, He'll bring us through, and He'll grow us. Here in Exodus, we see God's protection on display in a very simple, un- inspiring way. Hey, Israelites, I want you to go this way and not that way. But it's God protecting his people. In leading the Israelites on a detour around the land of the Philistines, his protection is on display. Secondly, I want us to see his promise on display. Look at verse 19. Let me read this for again. Verse 19. Get on the right page here. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. Now, I know that verse may seem out of place, right? We're thinking Exodus, plagues, let's go out into the wilderness, and then there's this verse about some bones. What's all that about? Well, to understand the importance of this verse, we need to do a little history lesson and go all the way back to Genesis 15. Remember Genesis 15, God is making a covenant with Abraham. Right? He comes to Abraham and says, look, Abraham, I'll give you descendants. Can't even number them, which was amazing. He had no kids. I'm going to give you a promised land one day. But in between now and that land, there's going to be this period of affliction. Let me read for you Genesis 15, verses 13 and 14. And the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. God comes to to Abraham and says, look, I'm going to give you this amazing inheritance. You won't see it many years from now, but it will be there. But in the meantime, there's this sort of detour, this period of suffering. But I won't leave you. I'll bring them out. Abraham trusted God's promise and knew that one day his descendants would enter the land that God had foretold. You fast forward a few years, that same promise is believed by Joseph. Genesis 50. This is the end of the Joseph story. Joseph's sort of on his deathbed, knows things are at the end. And he asks his brothers to do something for him, which may seem sort of interesting. Let me read for you Genesis 50. Verses 24 and 25, Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land. What's that sound like? That sounds like God's promise to Abraham back in Genesis 15. God will bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Verse 25, then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, 
God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. Joseph knew the promise that God had made to Abraham. He knew that his people would not stay in Egypt forever. He knew that God was ultimately at some point going to bring them up out of Egypt to this new and promised land. And so he tells his sons or his brothers here, hey guys, when you leave, I want you to take my bones with you. Whether it's today, tomorrow, 100 years from now, whatever it is, when you guys leave, I want you to take my bones with you. He wanted to make sure that he wasn't buried in this, this land. He said, no, 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 I want to make sure I rest eternally in the promised land, the land that Abraham has been waiting for, Jacob, Isaac, myself, those who come after me were waiting on this land. That's where I want to be buried. And what he's saying is, I want to be identified with Yahweh long after I'm dead. We may think, well, what's it matter? Buried here, buried there, what's it matter? Well, it mattered a lot to Joseph. Because he's trusting in this promise that there's going to be a land. And he says, look, if I'm going to wait for the land and trust God to, to deliver that land to us, I'm okay waiting even after death because I believe God will provide. So when you guys leave, take me with you. I want to be buried in that land. The ancient Israelites placed a great emphasis on life after death. They took a lot of care with the remains of dead people. It was very desirable to have sort of what we would call like a family plot, you know, where you had multiple generations all buried in the same area. And it was a sign of, of hoping in a promise of a future resurrection. He said, so you could walk out and you could see all the generations that had been buried and great-grandma this and cousin that, and we're buried here because we're waiting for God to resurrect us one day. That's what Joseph's saying. I want to be buried in the land of my people. I want to be buried in the land of the people who, like me, have waited. And they might see the promise fulfilled. I didn't, but it didn't, it didn't cause me to lose hope. Part of following God in obedient faith was an expectation to inherit the promised land. So part of trusting God, part of following Yahweh, was not just saying, sure, I follow Yahweh, but it was a hope in a future land. A hope in something that I might not see, my kids may not see, or their kids, but there's coming a day where God will fulfill His promise to give us a land. Joseph knew he wouldn't see it in this life but he wanted to be buried there as a sign of his faith. He says, look, it could be 400 years from now, and people bury me there, and they're going to say, oh yeah, this is Joseph. He wanted to be buried here because he knew God was going to give him land. And here we are today in the land. I once heard a pastor say that faith is not so much believing in God. We sometimes sort of reduce it to just, oh, I believe in God. And you ask any people on the street, sure, I believe in God. He said, faith isn't believing in God. He said, faith is believing God. Taking him at his word. Believing what he says and putting our hope and our trust in it. And that's what Joseph did. You know, he, he didn't have a crystal ball to look down into the future. He had nothing to go off of in terms of knowing that it would happen, except for the fact that God said it would happen. For 400 years, people walked by his mummified body and said, hey, what's that box over there in the corner? I've, I've noticed that for a while. What is that? People say, oh, that's Joseph. Centuries go by. Hey, why do you keep that box over there? Oh, that's Joseph. Okay. Yeah, we're waiting. Because when we leave, we want to take him with us. 
centuries go by, generations go by, and there's this sign of the promise. There's this visible display. And we come to the moment of the exodus. People are leaving Egypt. They've got the herds and they've got the wagons full of stuff. Remember, they, they plundered the Egyptians. They got all the gold and stuff. And somewhere on one of those carts is a box. And inside that box is Joseph's body. Why? Because he said, we're going somewhere someday. And I want you to take my body there because I'm trusting in the Lord. I may, you know, it may be years and years and years down the road, but I know it's coming. Joseph didn't, leave to, uh, didn't live to see the Exodus, but in carrying his bones out of Egypt with them, the Israelites, they're putting God's promise on display. Yeah, they're leaving town, they got this box, and it's as if there's just this big billboard that says, God has answered his promises. We've waited, but he answered, and they're taking it with them. We've been holding on to this thing for 400 years, and finally, God had delivered us just like he said he would. I wonder this morning, what promises of God are you holding on to? What promises of God are you clinging to? There are many from the scriptures that we could hold on to. One I look forward to is a resurrection body. A simple promise that when Christ returns, we get a new body. And so, you know, I may have mentioned this before. Sometimes when I go to a funeral and I'm in a cemetery, I just look around and I think, what a sight it will be when Christ returns and he calls up the dead saints that have gone before him. And everywhere you look will just be bodies coming up out of the ground. I think that's going to be pretty amazing to see. And when it happens, it will be like a giant billboard that said, God made a promise, and here it is. God made a promise. Years went by, centuries. I don't know if Jesus is coming back tomorrow or a thousand years from now. But when he does, and when we come out of that grave, we will say, that's a promise fulfilled right there. And it's the same with Joseph. Something as simple as this box that they carried with them out of Egypt was a display of God's promise. We've seen God, he, he's protecting his people. There's this promise on display. Finally, thirdly, I want us to see God's presence on display. God's presence. Look again at verse 20 through 22. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. Verse 21, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of uh, fire by night did not depart from before the people. Now, I've already asked and answered the question that I think they would have had in their minds, is Yahweh going to go with us? The answer is yes. But how would he show them? How would they know that he was with them? Well, it's right here, this visible symbol. It's the pillar, this giant pillar of sort of clouds during the day, and then at night it would have just shone so bright to give all kinds of light. It's a really amazing picture here. But I want to sh- try to point something out here that this pillar is not just like a divine roadmap. Okay, it's not a sort of uh, just like a tree or some sort of sign that just sort of floats and the people follow it. No, it's different than that. The pillar was a manifestation of God himself. Look at verse 21, and if you like to circle things, let me show you this. The Lord went before them in a pillar. One little word, in. A 
fulfill it. God did not send some fire to lead them around. God was with them. He was there in the pillar with them. You ever told somebody, um, hey, I can't be there, I can't make it, but I'll be with you in spirit? Or have people tell you that? Now, what, what do we mean by that? Do we actually mean that like some orb is floating around with us from them? Of course not. What we really mean is something like, look, I'm, I'm with you, like I encourage you, I support what you're doing, I can't make it, but just know that I, I've got your back. And that's great. Uh, that's not what's happening here. Okay, Yahweh is not with them in spirit, just sort of sending good vibes their way. Uh, this is not like Yahweh is FaceTiming them, where they, just, they, they hold a phone up at the front of the group and they, they can see God and they say, he's with us, look, let's follow him. No, he's there in the pillar with them. He was personally present with his people. And notice in verse 22, this is very encouraging. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. When did it depart? Never. It was always there. It wasn't there part of the day. God didn't work a nine to five showing the people around. He was there with them always. No matter where they went in the wilderness, no matter the terrain, no matter what people groups they would, they would encounter, no matter the difficulties, Yahweh was there with them. And this giant pillar thing was this uh, constant reminder. So you wake up in the morning, and it's been however long you're in the wilderness, and you think, man, is Yahweh still with us? You open your tent, yep, there's the pillar. Yahweh is still with us, no matter what. I think that would have been a comforting presence, a comforting reminder every day. Yep, there's the pillar. That's Yahweh. He's with us. He hasn't left in the night. He hasn't changed his, his mind or changed his plans. He's still with us. Uh, today, we, we don't have that visible presence of God. We don't have pillars of smoke. Um, if we do, things have gone wrong. Uh, we, have, we have displays of God's power but we don't have this display with us of his presence. So the question is, well, does that mean that God has left us? That if we don't have a, a sign to follow, if we don't have a, a big thing of cloud or fire to follow, then God is not with us? No. If you know your Bible, you know the answer to that is no. How can we know that God is with us? Well, because he's told us so. Let me give you some examples here. Jesus in the Great Commission Right? We, we take this, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and we make it primarily about going and making disciples, which it is. But there's this great line at the end where Jesus says, okay, go and make disciples, baptizing and teaching, and I'll be with you Monday through Friday. Go and make disciples, and I'll be with you when I'm not busy with something else. Is that what it says? No. He says, I'm with you even to the end of the age. He says, go out and, and do the work, and I'll be right there with you. In Colossians 1, verse 27, Paul says that the hope of glory is Christ near us. Is that right? Christ in the next room? No, he says it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And Paul also in Ephesians 1 will talk about how we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit of God. God says that he's with us. We don't have a pillar. We don't have this thing to follow around. 
But we know because of what he said in the word that he is with us. Christ lives in us by the power of his spirit. And what that means is God is with us personally and powerfully. You may be the sort of people who like to be alone, right? You're just sort of a loner. You like to be alone. That's fine. But you know God's still with you. No matter where we go in life, no matter the trials or the tribulations, no matter if everybody else might leave us, we know that God is still with us. We may not see him, but we have to trust his word. And we ought to live with that sort of confidence that the God who is with us is the same God who brought his people out of Egypt. So we don't walk around with this idea that like, yeah, you know, my God, he's kind of, he's okay. He takes care of me. No, no, no. My God is the God of the Exodus who's with me. The God of Genesis who created all things. The God of the Mount Carmel showdown who showed his incredible power. That's the God who lives in us. The power of that God indwells us through his Son, through his Spirit. We ought to live that way. You know, so many world religions are based on the notion that humanity is just trying to get to God. You know, do your best. So you've seen the image of sort of everybody's climbing the mountain and God's up there and we're just doing our best to climb up the mountain, trying to earn salvation, trying to be better, trying to make it to some sort of eternal life. But what's different about the gospel is that it's not about us trying to get to God. It's about God coming to us. I mean, the very name Emmanuel means God with us. So when we think about the gospel and our hope in that, it's not that I just try every day to be better and I did a little better tomorrow than I did yesterday and hopefully it averages out and I somehow make it there. No, my hope is in what the scripture tells us. That our holy and righteous and powerful God came to us when I couldn't make it to him. He came to wretched and condemned sinners. Paul writes in Galatians 4, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So here we are, just dead in our sins, and God doesn't look and say, well, I tried. Uh, Do your best. He says, no, 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 I'm coming. He says, I'm coming for you. He sends his son to take on flesh, to live the life that we couldn't live, to die the death that we should have died. And in that, Paul says in Galatians 4, we, we receive adoption as sons. We're made new. We get all of the riches and the blessings of Christ. I wonder if you're here this morning and you would be willing to acknowledge that you are separated from God. Maybe you're beginning to see in your life that I just don't know God. Maybe I know about Him, but I don't know Him. Maybe for you, God is sort of out there somewhere. There's just this sort of presence that you think about. Well, in Christ, you can experience communion with God. One of my favorite verses uh, is Romans 5.1, where he says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Incredible truth in the heart of the gospel is the notion of reconciliation. Paul talks about this in Ephesians 2, the idea that, We who were once far off have been brought near. In the gospel, it's not just God okay with us. It's God with us. It's not just God tolerating us. It is God saving us. That's the beauty of the gospel here. 
when Yahweh shows his people with this pillar in the wilderness, it's not just this thing to follow so they don't get lost. It's this constant reminder, you are my people, and I'm with you. And isn't that what he promised to them before they even got out of town? I've come to deliver you, I'm going to take you to a land, and when we get there, I'm going to dwell with you. God is with his people. In Christ, we can experience that. We can be reconciled to God, but only through repentance and faith. Only in uh, repenting of our sin and trusting in Christ for forgiveness. You can actually, if you didn't already when you walked in today, you can actually leave today knowing the God of the Exodus. You can actually know and experience Him in a powerful and a personal way. There's no corporate knowing God. Personally knowing Him. Like the Egyptians, we face an uncertain future. Boy, just turn on the news these days. What sort of future do we face? Uncertain? I'd say it's certainly full of trials and dangers. Seems to be changing rapidly, not in a good way. But what confidence do we have? So every day it's sort of like we've opened the door and we're leaving Exodus and we think, where are we going to go? What's next? Well, our confidence is that our powerful and personal God is with us. Just like the Israelites thousands of years ago, God is with us every day. He never leaves. He never forsakes. He never sends us out on our own. Sometimes we have this idea that God saves us from sin and then just sort of sends us on our merry way and says, you figure out the rest. Hope you make it to heaven one day. That's not the Bible. That's not the gospel. The same God who saves us, sanctifies us. The same God who saves us, carries us. The same God who calls us will bring us across the finish line. Because he's with us. Just like for the Israelites, Yahweh does not leave us on our own. He remains with us, though invisible, yes. But he's with us to protect us and guide us. How many of us this morning... We just need to be reminded that God hasn't left. Sometimes we have those moments where we feel like, yeah, I just know God is with me. And then you go through a season where you think, man, where has he gone? Well, he's gone nowhere. Our emotions may have changed. Our um, perceptions may have changed. Our affections may have waned. But his presence hasn't changed. He's still with us. He's with us today. And he will be with us forever. Let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful that come what may, you are with us. No matter what we might face or what trials we might encounter, no matter if we see promises uh, fulfilled in our lifetime or if we have to wait thousands of years, we trust because you are faithful. You are trustworthy. You keep your word. And these stories of the Exodus so far removed from us are actually right here for us because we are just exactly like the Israelites. We have, you have brought us out. You've delivered us from slavery and bondage. And we're asking, what's next? And the answer is, whatever you have for us because you will guide us and you will provide. So help us to be encouraged today by that. Uh, may your spirit continue to impress these words upon our hearts and our minds. And may we... Not lose faith, not lose heart in difficult times, but remember always that you are with us. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.